back to episode 7 of the TNG podcast. We've got two bits of exciting news today. First and foremost, the clocks have gone forward. It means evening golf can return. Yeah, you can't wait for that. Yeah, once you finish your boring work, you can get out and do some actual in fun stuff. Get out there and shank and top and every other bad shot that we can all do. But the other bit of good news is we're doing a guest episode. Finally. Finally. And uh, he's been quite active on the social media with us. He's been but really interactive. Surely. So uh, <laughs> we're going to welcome in Arbros' very own Craig Knowles. Hi there, how are we doing, guys? Welcome, mate. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it, mate. Obviously, again, I was taking the piss the other way, but you do support this podcast quite well. Um, so thank you for that. So, yeah, Craig is the head PGA professional here at Arbroath Artisan Links, and you've got quite a good bit of experience in the game, haven't you? Um, what was it, 2018 you've came to Arbroath? I did, yeah. Um, yeah. Just four and a half years I've been here now, yeah. Oh, very good, mate. Um, so, yeah, before we do any of that, I'm going to give the guy a shout-out. Um, we'll leave it all in the description for the, the podcast bio on that, but uh, Craig's Pro Shop, obviously, is at Arbroath, as expected, um, and you can find all the information you want on that. Facebook, Instagram... And um, the website as well. Yep. Obviously, the website itself is uh, craignollsgolf.co.uk and Instagram at Arbroath Golf Links Pro Shop. Uh, Facebook, Arbroath Links Golf Pro Shop and Golf Performance Studio. And same performance studio. That's what we're lucky enough to be recording today. So, again, thank yep. you very much for that, mate. Cheers for putting us up. Makes a difference from the normal location. <laughs> Cold garage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. So, yeah. Right. So... You said you've been here for four years. Yep. How much experience have you had then as a pro? When did you turn? Um, so I, uh, I I turned pro in 2006 was when I decided to do my PGA training. Um, started that off at Murray's Hall in Perth. Um, I actually worked a year before that. I started there in 2005. Worked there just to see if I definitely wanted to go down the PGA route. Um, Worked a year, decided I did, and then I did all my training at uh, Murray's Hall, so that took me three years. Um, around about 2009, I left Murray's Hall, got another assistance job at Panmuir. Uh, I was there for sort of five golf seasons. Um, so I was fully qualified when I got there, but not a great deal changed from... I went from one assistance job to another, yeah. and there was two assistants at Panmuir. Probably two to three years in at Panmuir, um, I was I was needing a, I was needing a move I was needing I was needing another challenge and I was I was kind of fed up of being a being somebody's lackey yeah. you know what I mean so yeah. I wanted to be more in boss and spread your wings yeah um, so I kind of sat down with my boss uh, he was Andrew Career at that time um, and made the decision to kind of try and look for something else and eventually found a, a job um, at Glenrothes in Fife and I spent sort of four and a half five years there uh, as head pro. Uh, I actually did a, a short stint in between um, working for TaylorMade, doing custom fitting all across Scotland, which was good. It was only about two or three months, but it was quite good fun. Yeah. I'm not sure I would have wanted to do it full time for a long time, but that was kind of me. And then uh, 2018 started here. So, yeah, I've been in the industry for quite a while now. Um, seen a few changes here and there. And yeah, it's good. I just I, 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 I love working in the golf industry. It's great. So it's always been something that you've wanted to do in the golf industry itself? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. I think when I was at school, uh, I can't remember what year, maybe about third or fourth year, we did work experience, and I chose to do that in a, a golf shop where I was a member at Money Feath. 
uh, spent spent a couple of weeks working there, and then went on to work that summer there. And to be honest, I mean, I was just I was just doing tasks like a bit of regripping, cleaning and tidying, spiking shoes, nothing exciting. But no. I knew that I kind of wanted to work in the golf industry. Uh, I was at a reasonable level by that point as well, and I had if I'd not worked into the golf, if I'd not went and worked in the golf industry, I'd have no idea what I would have done because uh, I've never really nothing else has ever been on my radar other than working in the golf industry. Yeah. Yeah. Just as well, yeah. you enjoyed the jobs that you like. You say we gripping <laughs> stuff that maybe the not desirable ends of it. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. If you can enjoy that, at least you know you'll be well in the industry. Yeah. Serving your time, I suppose, as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So obviously well, we've got a few questions like <coughs> that for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to let Gareth with his first one. Oh yeah, I forgot about this. It's quite an important question, mm-hmm. right? And I want your honesty on this, right? Mm-hmm. Can I have a Cobra Aerojet Max driver, please? To buy or to... Right, moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> didn't get what I was asking there. So yeah, first question I'm going to ask you is, who got you into golf? Uh, my dad. Um, so I think I started hitting balls when I was about five or six years old. Um, my dad had played when he was younger stopped playing uh, and then decided to get back into I think there were some guys at his work playing right. and we actually at that point we lived in uh, well we've all, I don't, my mum and dad have always lived at the other end of Dundee uh, so we used to go up to a little park called Balgay Park um, he used to take me up there at like 6, 7 o'clock in the morning when my mum was still in her bed because she'd been working back shift uh, <laughs> and we'd start off there there was a little putting green and that's where it started he was doing some chipping he got me a little driver it was a wooden headed driver oh, cut wow. down it didn't even have a grip on it it just had black tape on it and I just started hitting balls and it started from there and then eventually we played a few games at, or he played a few games at Camper Down because that's where he'd grown up yeah. playing his junior golf uh, and then there was guys in his work who were members at Money Feath and they he, he decided to try and get a ticket um, he got a ticket there and then eventually started bringing me um, and he took me to the golf just all the time yeah. it was just like every week um, I was never away from the golf course, um, and he would never, he would never say no if it was like, Dad, can we go to the golf yeah, course? Yeah, it was like, yeah. yeah, we'll take you down. Um, so would you say at the start it was more the the bonding with your dad that it was the enjoyment aspect of it, and then the game of golf got a grip of you? Yeah, probably. Um, I mean, I was, I, we did other things with my dad as well, but I think I think it was a combination of both. Um, I really liked I think the individual factor of it because I played a little bit of football through sort of primary school days and the secondary yeah, school, yeah. but. Um, the fact that golf was individual and you you got the rewards from your hard work uh, was good. Um, it probably didn't help that when I played football, I generally played for pretty poor teams and we were, we were pretty hopeless. So although I, was, yeah, I felt like I was half decent, yeah. you were getting stuffed, so it wasn't really any fun. So, uh, whereas at least at golf, if, if, if you go out and you play bad... You've no one else yeah, to blame you know but yourself. Playing, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you go out and you do well, uh, you get the rewards from it. So, so yeah, so it, was, it was all down to my dad. Um, I still get games of golf with my dad yet, which is great. Um, so it's great. Yeah, I love nothing more than just a game of golf. My dad I actually managed to get um, seven holes with me, my dad, and then I've got a little boy who's four years old. He's yeah. golf mad. I managed to get seven holes on Nash Ludi at Money Heath um, just, a, just a couple of months ago. It was brilliant. Um, so ideal, ideal scenario would yeah. be further down the line, I've got another one who's 14 months, get a four ball going with me and my dad <laughs> yeah, and then the two boys. That would be perfect. Be so that's time. my avenue to more golf. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. I managed to get my wife into a game of golf, and that's how I've managed to keep myself <laughs> able to play now and again. Yeah, I've had most of this luck. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Camper Down there. That's a solely missed golf course. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, when they when they made the decision to close one of the two, it really should have been Kerr Park. Yeah. Oh, but I think I think there was a lot of other issues involved there in terms of the, they've got a lot of other facilities just by and 
council made decision here, but as, as golf courses go, I mean, it's probably... Oh, if it could have been privatised, there was so much that could have done that. It'd be one, without exaggerating, I would say it would be one of the best layouts in Scotland, comfortably, of an inland golf course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so good. So, so many awesome holes. Yeah. Um, and, and it was just a shame that it never had the money because it was council run. And yeah, yeah. A, real, a real travesty that it's disappeared. Uh, I was actually up there walking uh, last year and there's very little sign of the, the original golf yeah. course. It's, it's really overgrown. And yeah, I've gone, yeah, it's not I've gone good. up there and had a walk as well yeah. up there. And it's, yeah, like you say, it just looks like wasteland now yeah. almost. Yeah, that's well, a shame. Well, I agree with both of you. More yeah. than the better ones in this area, especially. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I certainly yeah. say if it had the, if it managed to be bought up privately and, and really fulfilled its potential, it certainly would have challenged for the best course in Dundee. Yep. Um, which you're probably looking at as downfield. Um, certainly would have challenged that and like you say further afield it certainly would have made a massive impact in terms of Scottish parkland golf courses yeah but definitely so you're saying obviously you started through your dad and that did you take to it really quickly or was it something that you had to sort of um, did he have to take you a few times before you got to grips with it or was it always something you were just like nah this is for me yeah, no, I think I got, I think I got to grips with it quite quickly because I was able to make contact with the golf ball quite quickly. So I wasn't, it wasn't like I was missing it and just not wanting to have another go. I was, I was making contact and hitting some good shots and kind of just wanted to keep going and going and going. Yeah. Uh, and it was obviously completely different to how kids would learn nowadays. I mean, I, I was using a, a wooden-headed driver, which is tiny in comparison to what kids will start using nowadays. So there was a real premium on, on, on kind of taking it nice and easy and, and trying to find that centre of that golf club. I mean, the first driver I had, um, the wooden clubs used to come with a little red sort of plastic insert on them. Yeah. And uh, the, the plastic insert, I'd hit it that much that the plastic insert came out. And my dad had glued it back in. Someone's showing off here. <laughs> glued it back in. <laughs> and then eventually he gave up the ghost in that and he managed to find a forward. And he just did exactly the same thing. And he just he just swiped it down, put some black tape on it. And that was my club then for the next however long. Um, I think the very first, I heard I eventually got an iron like a Bernard Langer Wilson Junior Nine Iron, um, and that actually had a grip on it. It was like a new, th- a new feeling. <laughs> so instead of using black that tape, grip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sent, sent me all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so talking about golf clubs and sets, then what was your first set? What did it look like? Uh, so where I, where I played my where I eventually became a member and played my golf at Monty Feith. Um, Ian McLeod, who was the pro there at the time, was was quite well known for making golf clubs yeah. and, and putting them together. So he actually put together a, a set of ladies' vantage irons for me. And they were steel shafts, but they were a, a lady's head, so a little bit lighter, a little bit shorter. Um, the driver of the day at that time was the tailor-made burner bubble. Oh, wow. So it was the dark orange <laughs> kind of driver. What now, a shaft. I wasn't, I wasn't at a point where my dad was going to spend, was, I don't know what it was, maybe 200 quid for one of those, but yeah. Ian McLeod actually made a, I can't remember what the name of the driver was, but it was a it was a copied thing, but he, he, he painted it dark orange, so I remember getting it for Christmas, uh, this dark orange, I knew it wasn't a burner bubble, but I was still like, yeah, wow, this yeah, is amazing, it looked, like it, it looked like it, yeah, and that's kind of, that sticks in my memory, and so that was, I can't remember what else I had, but that was the irons, I had these, it was Vantage Ladies irons, um, and then a, this copy of a tailor made burner bubble. And then the first sort of full gents irons I had was actually a set of Maxwell Revolutions, again, from, from uh, Ian at Money Feath. And I had them for a, quite a long time, right up until I was about, I think until I was about 15. Um, and they were great, great set of irons. If memory so. serves, they were a good player's iron. Yeah, so there was two models. There was 
I can't remember. I had the sort of standard model. There was a, a slightly more over. I think it was oversized. It was yeah. called in those days. Uh, but I had the standard ones, and they were great. They were great sounds, and they were fours as well. I remember going from playing with the, the Vantage things, which were fine, to using these Max Flare Evolutions that were so soft. I remember hitting shots, and you were like, "Did I actually hit anything yeah, there?" Because yeah, they were just yeah. they just felt so soft. Uh, it was. It was and again, they stick in my mind quite well as well. So, um, yep. Yeah, I forgot they used to call them oversized. Yeah. I, as, I had a set of hand-me-downs from my father. It was a King Cobra oversized. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that takes us back. <laughs> it was uh, ah, it was that was good fun. So you said obviously Money Feet was your first club. Is you still a member now? No, um, I, I stayed a member um, at Money Feet right up until I think the first couple of years I turned pro, and then I just wasn't getting the opportunity to play kind of members type golf in terms of games with my pals at the weekends and stuff because I was working so I, end, and I ended up giving that up um, at that point as well there was like five golf clubs at Money Feath when I was a junior so I was I was in what's actually now the pro shop at Money Feath uh, or the Lynx Centre, uh, I was in the Brody Golf Club um, but over the years kind of they've all merged in some yeah, capacity and down and yeah well it's actually now the, the Grange and Brody and the Aberté had merged into that as well so there was, a, there was like yeah. Yeah, there was there was three clubs in, uh, basically in that one and then the, the Money Feath Club still still remains yeah. as well yeah. um, that's kind of the oldest one so so yeah Money Feath was great, um, great place to learn because you had the, the Ash Ludi course which is where I really started playing yeah. um, nice and short, a lot of par threes um, just a really good little golf course and then obviously the meadow which is, is excellent as well um, so it was a good mixture <coughs> Excuse me Christ I was obviously a member of Money Feath before I came out of Broth and playing with obviously two boys that I normally play with on weekends we looked at the Arsenal as like the short game course and then started getting better at playing golf and the rest of it I played the meadow and you brought back down the earth yeah. straight away it's a challenging course, it's beautiful. I love that course. Eh? Yeah, it's, it's a it's great a course. It is a test they compare yeah. the Arsenal to Selway, yeah. Yeah, yeah, night and day in comparison to the two, yeah. The Lady's still great for, I mean, I practiced my short game yeah. endless amounts when I was a junior there. Um, but yeah, the medal's a different animal altogether, yeah. yeah definitely, yeah. So go back to obviously growing up in that as well. Um, your first handicap, do you remember what it was? Um, yep, yeah, I was, uh, my first handicap was 22. I can't remember the exact age, but I was either 11 or 12, uh, and I was 22. Um, and then I kind of within a I think it was, it was three or four seasons I made quite quite a big couple a good couple of jumps so yeah. I kind of went from, from the first full season that I had a handicap I think I got my handicap maybe when I was 11 at the end of a season and then into the following season I was able to make uh, some progress on it so I went from 22 to 13 following season I went 13 to 6 6 to 3 and then three to scratch. He said uh, jumps. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember... These uh, are huge leaps. I remember the first two years, so the 22 to 13 and the 13 to 6. So I was, I was, I was a really young junior and I was quite small. I remember going to the prize given at the Brotty and the heckling and stuff that I got from, <laughs> from all these men. For yeah. It was just constant, like, and the winner of this one is Craig. So I was, like, winning a Saturday spoon or a medal yeah, yeah. or whatever. And it was it was good fun. It was all, it was all, all good fun, but uh, it just sticks in my mind as well. Just kind of all these men just having a go. Because I, I was never away from the golf course. It was the only thing I did. Is after school, at the weekends, I was, I was never away from it. So it, it does make a difference. Yeah. What would you attribute the the big leaps in your game obviously they brought the handicap down what, what was there one aspect of it that you just got so good at mm. or was it just in general just I would just say general yeah I, I wouldn't ever say I've my short game eventually once I got down to sort of 
sort of low single figures. My short game was pretty good. I felt like I could get up and down from anywhere, particularly from a pitching point of view. I would never say I've been the best putter, but to get up and down, to like chip it close enough that it was practically a gimme, I was I was always pretty pretty decent at that. But I mean, I've never been the longest driver of the ball. My irons have always been solid. So I, I just think more than anything, I think it was just the amount, of, the sheer amount play. of golf I played. Yeah. Um, and I just I wanted to get better and I enjoyed it and I, I would go down even if I was getting on the bus after school and playing on my own I would go and play on my own I would go and practice and I had quite a lot of a lot of mates that golfed but none of them had that sort of obsession obsession or desire to really just go and do that. So probably would, a mental aspect of it then for yourself. Possibly, yeah. Driven you. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Um, probably I think your dad as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and I think whenever I've done anything in life, I've always kind of I try and make sure I, I do it to the best of my ability. And I think that's what I loved about golf is that the more effort you put in, you, you kind of got the rewards from it. Um, yeah, that's my downfall. I'm starting so late. I was like you growing up, football, football, football. We didn't get to any level with football itself. I mean, I set records for getting yellow cards. Must be fucking. <laughs> but I mean, I came into golf. What? I'm now 34. So when I came into 28. Yeah, but that's the beauty of the game. Though. You can come out to it at any stage. Yeah. But so, but I wish I was like you back in the day knew the same Tom early doors can get pushed into didn't make me any better <laughs> I was I, I started playing golf when I was about or at least swinging a club when I was about 10 or 11 yeah, but yeah. I didn't get down to single figures until I was in almost mid 20s so it didn't didn't improve me but I probably just wasn't as driven Dedicated and as focused yeah. as yourself I just enjoyed playing for fun to start with and then competitive golf sort of took hold talking of obviously competitive golf what formats were you playing mostly was it mainly singles pairs or um, match plays yeah I would say it was predominantly it would have been stroke play a um, little bit of match play stuff um, obviously like club championships junior club championships there was a there was a, a small handful of um, money feath because they, they did you had, you had your club competitions and then there was also links competitions for the juniors because at that point I mean, when I was a junior there was a lot of juniors I mean I'm talking like there would be for the junior links say which was across all the clubs there would be 40-50 juniors playing trying to qualify trying to make the last the top 16 or top 30 32 um, so there was some some match play aspects but it was predominantly stroke play um, and I was just I was cause the sweep days were sort of Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday so I was playing I was playing sort of three times a week for my handicap, um, which helped get the get the jumps down as well. Yeah. Um, and then any even if I was it was an opportunity to play like so the the club um, match play competitions, the knockouts and stuff, I would get involved in everything. I just I, I've always I've always been quite competitive um, at anything I do, so I would I, I would just get involved in every competition I possibly could. Um, it was just, what yeah. would you say you prefer, match play or stroke play? Uh, I think I've probably chopped and changed over the years. I think as I was, um, I think as I was kind of getting better and better, I probably drew more to stroke play. Initially, probably liked match play, but um, I think I've always I've always preferred stroke play. Even like say, playing a stableford, I've never enjoyed. I don't like a stableford because I don't like this idea that you can have a sort of <laughs> bad, have a no score hole. on a hole and it still kind of count. So Whereas I've always we preferred love it. stroke play. Um, but nowadays I just like getting out and uh, getting any kind Do of you find time to get out on a regular basis? Uh, not regular, no. I kind of go through spells. Some, sometimes I go through a spell where I maybe manage a game a week and then it's easy. A spell will go by where I've done six or eight weeks and I haven't touched a golf club. It's just a combination of kind of being busy in the, the shop and 
teaching and fitting and, fit and, and then a bit of family life it's just yeah, difficult yeah. to sometimes find the time however I managed the game yesterday I was along at Pan Muir playing yesterday which oh, was nice. good uh, it was we, and it was great because it was like me and three other mates we played a game of doubles uh, four ball match play and that's fantastic like yeah. that's the kind of thing I probably miss most from the job I'm now in is not getting my weekly game with my mates yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. just the banter and a bit of fun and uh, we gave a match play with, with, with nothing other than just pride on the line really or a couple <laughs> of quid but it's the pride all the point. same sort of level as yourself or? Uh, similar so one of the guys is off uh, plus three or plus four he's a really good player uh, my mate who I was partnered with yesterday he was off six and one of the other guys he was off one so it's all pretty so you were rubbing your hands you got the shots <laughs> well it was, uh, it, was, it was not quite a scratch game the guy I was playing with got a couple of shots so it was, it was fine so it was good it was a good game and uh, well, well we ended up with half match so it was good, oh, good. it was good nice. yeah, yeah. So, you mentioned junior golf, and uh, obviously you have represented Scotland. Yeah. The junior level. Tell us about that. Um, yeah, so I played um, under 16 level and uh, under 18 level. Uh, the under 16s, it was actually a match against uh, England uh, down at a course called Silith on Solway. Um, it was like a 36 holes in one day kind of type thing, I think. Um, great golf course. Uh, very difficult to find. I actually tried to find it, uh, but I don't know. About five years ago, I was uh, me and my dad were going down to Old Trafford for football, and on the way back up the road, we decided we would go and play this Silithon Solway. And what an effort it was to try and find it. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't have to worry about that when I was playing under 16s level. Yeah. Uh, so that was great. Um, it was just it was just the, it was a one game, and then uh, I think the following year, I then got picked for the under 18s uh, home internationals, which was at Royal St David's in Wales. Um, and that was great as well. So that was home internationals. We were playing against Ireland, England, and Wales. Um, it was sort of foursome, foursomes format in the morning, singles in the afternoon, um, and it was great. You have a good um, record. Um, we got a half match in the England match. Me, it was me and a partner. I think it was maybe just one half, one one pay, one doubles game actually. Uh, in the under sixteens, in the under eighteens. Um, I got one, two of my three singles games, and I think we got, and I got beaten two. I only played two of the doubles games. I think one of the games I got left out, so I had an okay record. Won two singles games, uh, which was nice. Um, so yeah, I think um, looking back on it, I, I think all kids are the same. But you, I didn't really appreciate the situation I was in at the time. Mm. Um, I mean, looking back now, I'm, even although it was kind of eighteen, twenty years ago. Um, still quite proud to have represented my country and yeah, but at the be, time man. I just think as a kid you just don't you just don't think about these things um, Nah you, you hear a lot of pros talking about that in in, uh, in all forms of sport when they come to sport, the end of their careers it's when they end up taking the time to reflect back on what they've mm -hmm. they've done represented achieved and everything like that and take the appreciation of it so yeah. you're not alone there Yeah. so obviously quite a successful junior career then at what stage age-wise and handicap-wise were you when you started thinking I want to turn PGA pro? Um, well, I, was, I got down to scratch by the age of 15 um, and probably the annoying reality is I just I never really got any better. Um, the, I remember the season of coming down three to scratch and that was a lot of rounds. It was a lot of lot of rounds and kind of low 70s high 60s to, to get to that point especially under the old handicap system as yeah. well because you only you go down point one you go up point yeah. one so a good um, week and a bad week would just right, you're yeah, back to square one yeah exactly yeah and that was a lot of rounds and then i think um i then sort of moving into the next season uh i was kind of I, I 
I hovered on almost plus one. But then I was playing a lot of golf away from my home club. I played a lot by the time I'd got to that point, and I was playing a little bit of. Um, I'd, I'd played for Scotland, but I was also playing like Scottish boys uh, yeah. or Scottish Scottish stroke play these kind of things or, or, or events further afield. So it was harder. I wasn't playing as much sort of home golf to try and play for my handicap. So thinking about my handicap became less of an issue. Um, but for some reason, around about the age of sort of 17, 18, my golf just nosedived. Um, and I just went from never really thinking about what I was trying to do, just standing up and hitting it and getting on the green and trying to get in the hole. I start, I think I started thinking about things more and trying to figure out what was going on in my swing. And my, my golf nosedived for probably the best part of without exaggerating I would say five, six, seven years I, like, I, for a spell I just could not keep the ball on the golf course it was oh, just wow. like I was driving it just awful I just couldn't I just could not hit a driver on, on the same golf course so just on that would you describe yourself as a feel player or a, an analytical player well in terms of like your swing and your shots probably up to the age of 16 feel and then as soon as I started to learn more about the golf swing that's probably when my problems came in I started to think about what was going on in my golf swing and then became over analytical but now now I'm, I'm back to more being a, a field player there's one or two little things if I hit a bad shot I've got a pretty good understanding why that's happened but yeah. I, I don't think about that when I'm over the golf ball um, but I think by the age of 15 I knew I wanted a career in golf and at that point I probably still thought that it would maybe be down the playing route um, trying but, too hard then yeah possibly possibly but by the age of sort of definitely by the age of 18 I knew I wanted a career in golf and down the PGA route but I'd, by then I'd realised there is absolutely no chance this is going to be a playing career not unless something crazy turnaround was going to happen but I just felt I just felt I just wasn't I just wasn't good enough my good golf was okay but my bad golf was, was nowhere near good enough and I always think that's how you need to measure your golf is how good your bad is yeah um, even from a handicapping point of view your, your golf isn't really measured on your good shots everybody can hit it on a fairway hit it on a green hole a putt but it's where your shots go when, when, you're, when you miss hit it yeah. and if, you, if your miss hits cause you to go to your bag for a reload that's big trouble you know yeah, what I mean totally whereas if your miss hits are on the edge of the fairway on a, a, around, around the green and you can still make pars and you still make birdies and yeah. that's that for me especially at an elite level my bad would be potentially 75, 77, 78. Like, there's not even any point in pitching up if you're yeah. thinking you're going to make a career in golf shooting numbers like that. So that, that for me was, it was, it was just a reality check at one point. I was like, this, I'm just not, my, I, I vastly need to improve my bad golf and I'm not sure I could. Mm -hmm. I don't think I could do it enough. But I knew that I enjoyed the industry enough that I wanted to go down the PGA route and whether that ended up me being in a coaching role, a fitting role, running my own business role at that point I wasn't really sure and I didn't really know that until probably around about the, the time I'd been working at Panmure for a year or two and at that point I was like you know you know what I, I want to be running my own business yeah. and then with that will come a little bit of fitting I'll come a little bit of teaching um, so yeah so it, it, I knew that let's say I knew I wanted the career in golf from a pretty early age but the specific avenue was, was a bit further down the line that's amazing huh? yeah. that's I amazing. love how you're saying that a bad round is 75 yeah and yeah. and obviously at that level, yeah, you're right. You're spot on. It is. There's so many levels to the game. Yeah, there's so many levels to the game. You talk to probably about ninety eight percent of amateur golfers and say seventy five. They go, I'll bite your hand off right now for it. Yeah, well, my, my best score on a golf course was Ash Liddy. I shot seventy three, and I'll keep talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I will keep talking about that. That's my best golf ever. 
you know what I mean? Seventy three. There was actually a specific moment on a on a, a practice ground that I can remember, uh, and I was actually oh, I hadn't even started playing bad at this point. I don't think. But I was standing practicing. I can't remember what the tournament was. I can't even remember where the practice ground was. But I remember being on a practice ground, and alongside me were so it was, I was I was hitting balls. There's a guy called Scott Henry who you might have heard of, and there was a guy called Lloyd Saltman. Both of those two guys were very good golfers. Um, I know that Scott still plays to a, a professional competitive level. Mm. And I was hitting it really good, and thinking I was hitting it really good. And I was just looking, and I was like, oh my God, he's hitting like missiles. And I'm just, my things are just like powder puff. And I was just like, <laughs> I, this is, and I think, I, th- I honestly think that that was the moment where I just thought, nah, I don't think I'm going to be <laughs> playing this game for a living. Now, it's certainly a moment that sticks in my head. Uh, <laughs> and, I've, and I've always been quite quite comfortable with that. It doesn't like upset me the yeah, fact that yeah. I wasn't good enough to be it. Nah, playing on the TV. I mean, well, it's you, quite you, brave though to have that thought to yourself and decide for yourself instead of being told, like, yeah. hey, "It's not going to happen for you, mate." Move yeah. on. Because you decide yourself. Like, I know what's going to happen next. It's got to be a little yeah. bit easier to take as well if yeah. you yeah. come to that sort of yeah, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. I'm sure that's caught quite a few folk coming out aspiring to get as as high as the tour to say because like you said earlier it's an individual sport so you can get sort of wrapped up in your own ability and if you're playing well at club golf or in junior level and you think yeah I'm, I'm good and then you get to the bigger wider world of it and go actually I'm not even scraping the barrel here yeah so yeah, absolutely. it's good that you were able to be that sort of aware of it yeah. yourself I've seen it I've seen a lot of instances in, in the other way where I've, I've watched say whether it's assistant PJ pros or really good juniors and they they're kind of telling me yeah I'm, I'm going to be playing on the tour and kind of I'm thinking to myself like fair play to you for having that thought but I, I, you just can't see it um, but sometimes all you need as well is just a little break yeah. um, I mean you look at some of the names that have come through guys like Poulter who went through his PGA route and started off I think he started off about four handicap yeah, when he sure, went yeah. when he started yeah. his PGA he obviously just worked really, really hard. So although I got to a pretty good level at the age of 15 from starting young, somebody like Poulter didn't start as, as young as me, but he put in a serious graft. And yep. then for whatever reason, he made a serious progression sort of through his late teens, early 20s that then propelled him to have the career he's had. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, everybody's just completely different. And it's just, I suppose you've got, you, you come to your own reality or you just keep trying to live out that dream. It depends what you're... Depends your situation yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, that's I, true, yeah. I was depends on your own character as mm-hmm, well. Yeah, and also from like a financial point of view, I wasn't in a position where I could go and speak to mom and dad and say, "Look, I'm not going to work for the next two or three years." <laughs> anyway. like, can you just support me yeah. and just enter me in every golf tournament? Yeah. I, I just wasn't in that position. It just and I, and, I, and I wouldn't have felt comfortable doing it because in my head I thought I'm not quite good enough. So I would never. I, I was quite. I was and I was more than happy to go down the sort of PGA route. Oh, fair play, mate. Fair play. So talk about that. Talk to us about the PGA route and how it was started. Um, so yeah, go, going back to sort of two thousand and six. Um, that's when I was, at, I was I had worked at Murray's Hall for a year, um, and then I went down and I, I, I signed up to do the, the PGA degree, um, and it really covers a lot of a lot of aspects uh, within the game. Um, so it covers a really a bit of everything in terms of um, your learning retail side of things from obviously from 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 being in the business. Uh, learning how to become a coach and what you should be looking out for and ball flight laws and a lot of textbook stuff um, you cover so many bases you're learning about equipment you're learning about the business side of things dealing with invoices dealing with money dealing with suppliers um, and then also trying to play a bit because you do have to maintain a certain level going through your your, your uh, training to 
to allow you to do your training basically and you've got to play so many events um, and it was each year within your your training you've got assignments that you need to do so they mm. might be a 2000 word essay you've got about four or five of those and then you've got some written uh, exams come the end of each year as well and that's for three years um, three years yeah i'm so no. glad so i'm not good enough to turn it <laughs> yes <laughs> so you come out with a with a degree in professional golf basically yeah. um and it's yes yeah, it, i I, I didn't enjoy the i didn't enjoy that side of it the, the, the assignments and the um the exams it's not the stuff. game though is it no no it's uh i didn't en- didn't enjoy that side of it i, I, I was very happy when that was when I kind of finally got the letter through to say right everything is done and you are passed I actually think I still had dreams where I was waking up in the middle of the night thinking have I have I done my final exams have I done my, have I had it was good yeah, um, it was a lot of pressure I mean a degree anyway is going to be hard work but for your golf life to be a degree for golf professional is probably yeah. the, the, the hardest exam that for, from my point of view anyway was the coaching the final coaching exam um, I, I, I was actually I can remember doing the exam and this, at the end of the exam, so the exam is basically you give somebody a lesson. So you're at a driving range, they, they, they invite people along for the day and you're assigned somebody to give them a lesson. Uh, and you have to go through the lesson, give them that lesson. And at the end of it, there's a debrief. And the, the, the guy who's assessing you asks you a bunch of questions. You've got to get certain answers right, link in certain things. And we got, and he actually he said to me, right, this is the last question and no pressure, but this is I need the answer correct for you to pass Jesus sort of thing. and I was like oh awesome um, <laughs> so so he asked me the, I, I can't even remember what the question was but he asked me the question I'm sitting there and I'm thinking and I took like 10, 15, 20 seconds to answer which is quite a long time when it's just you and somebody and <laughs> yeah, somebody's asking a you a question by, yeah. and uh, I think going through my head was like this is my this is my future this is my future, this is my future. Mm. and I answered the question and he said right I do have a couple other questions but you can relax you've passed and I was just like literally sank into my chair <laughs> I was like, oh. and I can remember the drive home I was like so I was practically floating yeah, just like yeah. just, and that was me I knew at that point I was completely done I had no more exams to do no more assignments no more assessments it was it was good it was a good feeling. No, oh, man. A few bottles of champagne that <laughs> night, was Something it? like that, yeah. <laughs> a few, few pints of tenants. Oh, really like bottles, bottles of Bucky. <laughs> oh, God. So, obviously, you touched a little bit there on, on coaching and stuff like that. What What is your approach to the coaching during the training? Like, sort of, what were they always trying to maybe get from you or look at you being able to achieve with through coaching? Um, so, we're go- again, going, going back to... 2006 uh, so things have definitely changed in terms of equipment in terms of the equipment you might use within a lesson so for for example nowadays I use Trackman in all my lessons I mean there there might have been launch monitors at that point but it wasn't something that we used Um, I think eventually maybe 2007 2008 I started using a video camera during a lesson but it was still pretty pixelated at that point so breaking it down and going frame by frame wasn't really something so I initially found teaching quite difficult, especially a better player. I found teaching poorer players quite easy because spotting the problems was was really easy. But the difficult, the bit, the bit I found difficult was was then how you put into words how we're going to fix this. Uh, and I think it was just it was just repetition. It was just doing more and more lessons and learning. And I, c- I didn't read lots of information, but I, I I would watch other people teach or I'd listen to other people teach and I'd try and pick up little snippets about what they would do. And how they would say try and solve somebody's slice, and yeah. but also I think I found I found myself quite being quite repetitive at times. So I would kind of I was given the same information in every lesson I was doing, 
and eventually I kind of had to sit back and think like I need to I need to approach these differently so really from I can't remember the exact moment at that point but certainly a couple of years into coaching instead of trying to teach everyone the same way I then thought no right I'm going to I'm going to change it up and everyone's individual we can't all stand and set up the same we can't all swing at the same we can't all move the same so I have to try and work around that and just treat everyone as an individual and I think I've always kind of taught and not really talked a great deal about what the golf club's doing but what the body's doing still with a a a real emphasis on what the club face is doing at impact because I would I would I would go on the basis that the most important part of the golf swing is impact you've got you kind of what what's happening there is the most important part kind of what happens before that and how the ball get how the club gets there is not all that important but when that club face makes impact with the golf ball that's the most important part um so i I kind of focus on that but a lot for me is just how you get somebody's body set up to begin with and then how you get them to move as best as possible as they can to to deliver a good impact position um and that's kind of there's still the same ethos i take with me it's just even easier now because i've got trackman yeah. trackman gives you so much information and i've 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 kind of read up on my information so i know that they, i know what the information means yeah. um so then delivering that message to the to the guy in front of you or the, the woman in front of you is, is much much easier and it's and it's undeniable as well you can't argue with it i think before trackman it was quite difficult you would say yeah. to someone oh you're doing this and you could just see them giving you a look Whereas now that the, the information that Trackman provides is undeniable, you, you can't argue with it. Yeah. Would um, you find that more with a better player that they would maybe question your advice or what you were trying to identify and solve? Yes, pre, definitely pre pre track pre pre launch point or pre Trackman. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Whereas now, um, now I would now I'm, it's all it's completely flipped. I much more enjoy teaching a better player, um, and and. Yeah, they, they, again, they can't really argue with information. Um, and I think when you're, if you if you can speak confidently about something, people are much more likely to be inclined yeah. to believe what you're telling them as well. Um, Just on their sweat and shaking your head. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're kind of stuttering your words and you're struggling a wee bit, it's <laughs> going to, they're, they're not going to take you for for your word. But if you can deliver that message confidently, that generally they'll they'll take your word for it. Yeah. So regarding coaching tips that you were sort of taught, do you implement them in your coaching nowadays? Or do you still kind of stick? Is there like one thing that you swear by? Um, not really. No, not really. I, I, I just go back to this kind of individual. Treat everybody as an individual. Kind of, it can be very easy when you've done three, four lessons in the one day, back to back to back, to just everything just look a bit like the same. Um, even although they are all completely different, it can mm. be very easy to just just kind of see the same thing but that's again the beauty of track man is it's delivering you different numbers every time um i think even even going back probably five six years ago maybe even as much as that three four five years ago i wasn't always a hundred percent confident that what i was watching and then the message i was delivering was a hundred percent accurate um but track man has has definitely given me that that belief that I can stand and I know exactly what I'm saying yeah. is bang on because I, I understand the information and I can then watch ball flight if we're out in the range with track man or if we're in the studio I can see what's happening I can see the numbers and I have no worries about kind of given given the information but I don't have a I don't have a an ethos or a method it's other than really just individual just just deal with the individual that's in front of you yeah as you say monitors or launch monitors have certainly improved that aspect of it because not only do you know 
irrefutably by the information that's on there, the data that this is what is happening and how to correct it, you can show that to the client and then, like you say, with the watching the ball flight, they can and then they can make the connection between the two. Mm-hmm. So it must be easier and faster for the client as well to make that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, especially within the studio environment because they're getting all that information up on the big screen. I've got a TV within this in, in the studio that, that I've actually put on a split screen mode so it's providing lots and lots of information which the majority of it they don't need to understand but based on what they're doing and maybe what their faults are or what their bad shot is I can pinpoint certain numbers certain bits of information that instantly I can give them to, to make to have a better understanding of why their ball's going in a certain direction or why it's not going up in the air or why it's going too high whatever it may be and then the, the, then the next part is how we then make those changes and the beauty again of the, the, the launch monitor situation is that you, you, you ask you ask the guy to make some changes and then you've got more information you've yep. got the you've got the new the shots when you're, you're asking them to so you've got the improvement data yeah exactly yeah positive yeah. reaffirming that yeah that they're doing the right thing absolutely yeah yeah nice well going back to your pga train um you said obviously you, the relief you had when you passed mm-hmm. how did life change for you becoming a pga pro what was the next steps i mean like financial responsibility location change ambition anything like that initially the um kind of there wasn't really much of a change initially other than knowing that the pressure of not having to do assignments and, and uh, <laughs> exams had gone because I, I as mentioned i went from an assistant's job at murray's hall to another assistant's job at panmuir and it wasn't like i was head assistant or I wasn't in a, a a different role really I was just I was just at a different location um I think the big thing when I made the change obviously being qualified I maybe had a bit more confidence and again some of the information I was was it was given to customers but I think I went from Murray's Hall is very much a sort of it was although we had members it was very much a it was all about a lot about visitors right. and bringing in visitors Whereas when I went to Panmuir, it was the polar opposite. It yeah. was a very much a members club. And at that point, even going back at sort of 2009 when I started there, although they allowed visitors, it was quite a small amount. Uh, that's grown and grown since then, and it's totally different nowadays. Yeah. Um, but I went from being at... So it was two sort of polar opposites in terms of clubs. So my learning in terms of how to deal with a sort of visitors type club and then going to a, a completely members based club it was great it was a great two two really two totally different aspects and that, I picked up a lot from that and also the, the, the my boss who I worked under at the time Andrew Career was a really good guy to work for um, I learned a lot from him particularly from the business side of things um, and how to run a business and how to manage a business he was really good at letting me in on the information he didn't yeah. try and hide any of his numbers and that made a big difference to me and it was probably in the first couple of years of working for him that I realised that kind of two things that I could I felt like I was in a, I felt like I was sort of clever enough to be able to run my own business yeah. and I also felt like that was the route I definitely wanted to go down because I think even when I started there I was still do I want to do a teaching route do I want to do a fitting route or do I want to go down kind of run my own business route and eventually after working for him that was kind of where I got to and probably after two or three seasons I was at a point where I felt like I'd been in the industry for sort of seven or eight years I'd been some I'd always been somebody's employee yeah. and I was getting a bit sort of bored and stale by that point and I needed a I needed a bit of a boot up the arse to kind of get me to go and move on and that's kind of what he gave me yeah. um, and eventually I started at that point I sort of started looking for uh, my own job and eventually kind of got that um, when I moved to um, 
Glen Office. Kind of going then from assistant to being head pro was yeah. a, was a different kettle of fish. It was a it was kind of um, suddenly all the decisions you're making are are are, are, are quite important. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But I, I was really cautious to begin with. Um, I didn't go spending wads and wads of money. I just I went and I had a certain amount of money to start me off, and I said in my head, right, I'm not going to spend over that and end up in debt. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. Basically, all I did was I filled the walls, and it's actually really easy to, when you've got a space, make it look busier than it is. Mm. Just get some stuff on the walls, get some bags on the floor, get some clubs out, and I started off with just a, a small amount of brands, um, and really small amount of stock, and then just kind of built it and built it from there. And to be honest, a lot of it isn't rocket science either in terms of, you know what the the, the brands that people want are, yeah. you know what I mean, in terms of your tailor made, your Callaway, your Titleist golf balls, all these type kind of things. So, so there's certain things that's a bit of a no-brainer of stock. Yeah. Um, and I had some I had some friends in the industry that I could go to to get a little bit of stock. So I'd, it wasn't like I had to go to the brands and have to commit to spending thousands and thousands of pounds. Yeah. I could pick up little, little bits and pieces of stock from some other PGA pros and that kind of got me started. Um, it's quite smart though, actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think, that, like you say, that definitely lends itself to that business aspect of it being a bit business savvy, trying to keep your costs as manageable as possible while trying to promote a successful business. Mm -hmm. You were saying just to go quickly back about obviously being more of a, you worked in a more visitor predominant golf club environment and then a, a club member club environment. Which would you say was more intense or challenging? from like in terms of demands from you uh, definitely the uh, the member side of things yeah uh, I, I had that suspicion but and uh, es especially somewhere as traditional as Panmure as Panmure um, I mean by the time I started there it wasn't it wasn't as traditional and old fashioned as maybe 10-15 years before but <laughs> things like women were still going in the side door uh, women weren't full members just a lot of sort of crazy little rules. A lot of that stuff has now completely changed. Women are full members, and yeah. it, it's, it has really it has really transformed over the last um, 10, 12, 15 years. Do you uh, think that sort of coincided with the likes of the RNAs being sort of like changing their viewpoint and the way that they've obviously allowed women members now? And possibly there was the big hoo ha at Muirfield and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I know there was a there was a a stat or a fact at one point that Panmure had more RNA members than any other club in the whole world. Like, is it like they? Has, I don't know what the number was, but there was one point that Panmure had that amount of RNA members. So there might have been a little bit of that in it. I also think a big, a, I think a big part of it was 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 my boss. He was he was really good at moving the club forward and, and explaining to them how things could progress. Yeah, by following some of his kind of some of his thoughts um, and they've done that I mean they're, they're now at a point where they're bringing in a, a really good amount of visitor revenue they're on the map um, and they're they're, they're, they're a desire spot yeah, to go to absolutely, definitely yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean there's certainly there's obviously like say your, your open championship venues courses can't ever match that but then there's I always think there's a tier down from that and I would say Panmure's right at the very top yeah, of that tier down you're definitely um, talking your Panmure your Kings Barnes your Crails that sort of yeah. level yeah yes yeah, absolutely um, but pro going back to your sort of question on, on demands, yeah, I think the members club side of things at Panmure, you were asked of things kind of just the way you had to treat certain members was was just different, and it, and it is really 
of what was really traditional slash old fashioned, and it has has moved on from that. Um, and I saw that yesterday, um, going into the club afterwards yesterday and stuff. I mean, we were still went. We actually went into the dining room and had our uh, jacket and tie and uh, the blazer on um, and sat and had something to eat. But the guys I was sitting with are. Or it was a totally different feel, and uh, it was really good. And I, I think there's still a place for the. It's tradition. a more relaxed tradition. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah and definitely. I think that's there are a lot of clubs out there that were so steeped in that tradition that you would like. Yeah, you're, you're thinking your RNAs, Panmure, maybe even the likes of maybe Ely mm-hmm. up there. They yeah. they're still very steeped in their tradition, and there is a place for that, like you say. But as long as they can be progressive and move forward and and maybe just not relax it but have a little bit more of a understanding to where the game of golf is going and how to keep it inclusive for everyone and keep the the revolving door of new players coming through they they still have a place where they can definitely drive that forward yeah absolutely yeah yeah couldn't agree more boys <laughs> so uh, what's the difference for, for you and being a PGA head pro now to when you first qualified in your opinion, is there any differences at all? Yeah, there's. there's I'd say there's a few. Um, I think from a sort of what I would class myself as a green grass PGA pro. So by that I mean I'm at a, at a golf course, um, and that's where my pro shop is. As opposed to maybe a, you get some high street uh, golf shops and driving ranges. But for me, I'm kind of like a, I class myself as a green grass PGA pro. Yeah. Um, and kind of going back, so 10, 15 years ago. The internet was a real issue for a lot of PGA pros in terms of getting hammered on price and availability, particularly price. Um, and I feel like the internet is far less of an issue now than it was back then. I mean, obviously, there's still the, the ease of convenience in terms of using the internet, like yeah. you know, sitting at night, at nine o'clock at night, and click on something, and away you go. But yeah. I think we, we, you tend to find that most PGA pros now won't be beaten on price or shouldn't be beaten on price because. It's a, a, a much more level playing field. Uh, so from that point of view, that that's quite good, especially from 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 my point of view. I think the technology advancements a big thing. Uh, I mean, going back when I first started, there were some types of launch monitors out there, but they weren't particularly common. Um, I wouldn't have said that they would probably be as accurate as what we've got nowadays. Um, I mean, they're huge investments. I mean, I I put in the studio into into Arbroath Golf Club. Um, sort of two and a half years ago now, and it was a big investment. But being the age I am, sort of at that point, mid thirties, I'm thirty six now. I felt like I'm going to be in the industry for at least the next sort of twenty five years, years yeah. or there or thereabouts. So that the investment and the money I was going to have to spend, I felt like I could quite comfortably make my money back on it. And I also felt like without having it, people will bypass you and go somewhere that, that yeah. does have it. Um, yeah, it's become such a staple. Um, what's the word when anyone goes for a club fitting now it's got to be monitor based because it's like you say it goes back to that data being so reliable that you fully trust it so you've got every confidence in the product that you're buying out of it is the exact perfect fit for you yeah despite the fact that 99% of the customers that will come in maybe know the name Trackman but will actually have no idea what it produces they'll have no idea what those numbers that come up on the screen mean with the exception of maybe club head speed, carry distance, total yeah, distance, they might understand those. Yeah, but that is ultimately yeah. what they want to know. Yeah, and they want to, they want to know that they're getting that information from something extremely accurate, um, which and which trustworthy. is trustworthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I still get the situation where people question the information, and I I, I just <laughs> say to them, well, there's two things. I said ultimately, 
it's eighteen thousand pounds for one of those, so it's, so it's not cheap. And also, <laughs> if you ever watch the golf on the TV and it's pans to the practice ground, they're using one of two boxes. It's either that little orange or box or that one. Oh, it's a GC two sort of foresight, yeah. yeah. And they they are producing very similar information from different types of technology. But these guys that are the elite in the game would not be using them if yeah. they weren't accurate. Yeah. Exactly. And exactly. Uh, that's usually enough to kind of even even the persuade biggest them. doubters uh, to persuade <laughs> them. Yeah. <laughs> It's always hard to practice that one, you know what I mean? <laughs> we all live out there, there's always someone who thinks they know more and better. Oh. I mean, the PGA head professional title above the door needs fucking none of people, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, um, obviously, we talk about track and stuff like that as well. Um, what's your love and hate about club fans? Um, do hates first. Uh, Customer expectations would probably be the, the kind of top there. He's going to uh, fix my slice and I'm going <laughs> to hit it 300 yards and I've never hit it over 230. Yeah, so I, 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 I'm quite careful with my questioning um, to the point where I might not even ask any questions when somebody's in the studio with me. I'll have asked questions in the run-up to try and identify what kind of things like what they're using what they're looking to move to, that kind of thing. What is it they're looking to achieve from a fit? Yeah. But once I actually get in the studio, I just I just set everything up. I try and get them as relaxed as possible, and then I just tell them to hit a bunch of shots. And I I don't I don't I specifically try not ask questions because the minute you ask certain questions, you just get crazy answers. Yeah. Um, specifically, like, oh, is that as far? Is that is that the distance you would normally hit it? Is just a disaster question. <laughs> no, oh, no, I'm having a bad day today. I've I've, <laughs> pretty I've, much, just, yeah. I've I've not warmed up. I've not hit any practice balls. It's very rare for somebody to hit it and then be like, oh yeah, that, that's, that's so accurate. Out. That's so accurate. <laughs> that just that doesn't really happen. What tends to happen is they hit two or three shots, and and the the the, the tiles as they're called on the bottom of the screen. Um, are displayed kind of all the way along the bottom of the screen, and I keep an eye on them sometimes, and I, I watch them. And they, they, the, the first thing they do is look along to the far bottom right, because that's where the carry and total <laughs> distance is. And then I just have a little look at their face, and depending on how that all goes, you yeah. kind of know what kind of fitting you're in for. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, especially when it's driver, it's not so much if it's irons, um, but with driver, it's like the big stick. And, the, and it's when they're not seeing it going over 200 yards <laughs> is this thing broken and I'm, and I'm not using it's not like I'm using range spuds you know what I mean I'm using pro, I'm using pro V balls pro V1 balls or TP5X have you set me in to win I know it's blowing 30 out there but it's not in here <laughs> so that that's that is definitely the the, the customer expectations is, is a tricky one um, and probably even even more so over the last year or two because the price of of equipment has really skyrocketed. I mean, you're you're pretty much five hundred quid for a new driver nowadays, yep. which is let's not be it's, it's it's a lot of money. It's a lot a lot of money. Um, so I think with that has come even greater expectations. I think guys are coming or people are coming along the fittings expecting to get potentially twenty to thirty yards of a gain. That's just not going to happen no. unless they have a really old driver that is completely wrong for them. It's not going to happen. No. Like. If we c if you can gain eight to ten, twelve you're yards, well you're there. doing really well. Um, especially and if they've got a driver that's sort of two, three, four, five years old, that is a good gain. What they're more likely going to see is kind of for off centre hits, the distance should maintain kind of similar to a, a good hit. Yeah. Um, but when I'd stand up and I'm doing a fit in, and the guy like absolutely rifles his first three drives, I'm like, we could just go home now, because he's yeah. going He's going to expect to see, when he rifles the, the new driver, it's going to just fly past that. 
Yeah, it's he's, probably he's not looking for Bryson DeChambeau yeah. length, and it's, yeah. it's not happening. And to be honest as well, like the, the, the only guys that are going to see those kind of real improvements are if you're swinging it at sort of 110 mile an hour plus. That's when you're going to really see a bit of a of a, 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 a sizable improvement. But even those guys, it's marginal gains. Yeah. Um, Would you say you see more from the shaft than you do the heads these days? I get asked that kind of thing a lot. Um, I would say generally no. However, when I got fitted in January, um, I could not get, I couldn't beat my own driver with with the new head and any other shaft other than my own. As soon as I put my own in, eight yards. Oh well. So, so as much as I'm saying no to that, for me it was a yes. So it's, it's again, it kind of goes back to a bit of the coaching thing. It's a bit of an individual thing. Um, for whatever reason, the shaft that's in my current or was in my current driver now in my new paradigm driver, it just it just works really well, um, and it just I just really comfortable with it. But in the main, I would say it's the combination of everything. Trying to get the right head, loft, shaft combo, um, trying to get all of that together is, is the important part. Main um, reason I ask is obviously a certain elite pro out there complaining about drivers in the last couple of weeks has changed shaft and all of a sudden is nearly holding par fours in one. That being Rory McIlroy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes such a I think he went a little bit shorter, didn't he? I think that's. What, I think he went a f half an inch shorter. Um, I don't know if he's went back to an older head or. I'm not he stayed with the Stealth Two, I believe. Okay. Because that was obviously everyone thought he was either looking to either jump ship from TaylorMade, go back maybe to Titleist or something like that. But apparently, it's the shafts the only thing that okay. he's really right. Okay, really I did hear them say he shortened. The sh he went a little bit shorter on the shaft. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think again, just I think it's, it's it's each to their own sort of thing. Sometimes a shaft change might be all it takes, but normally it's it's a kind of combination of the whole the whole package. Kind of likes when you ask me about likes as well. I kind of talked a lot about hates, <laughs> um, but likes um, just making genuine improvements in terms of gains and whether that's distance gains, whether it's dispersion gains, whether it's just a feel gain. Um, it's, it's it is it's quite rewarding putting a club together for somebody and then and then and they hit some really it good works, shots yeah. and that come, that's kind of the same within coaching as well it's really rewarding kind of giving somebody a lesson and then over the next two or three weeks their handicap comes down they're up there in the sweep and uh, they're, they're buzzing about their yeah. golf um, that's, that's quite good as well so they give you a percentage of the sweep <laughs> <laughs> maybe get a high five <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> so sticking slightly with the more current golfing world What's your position and view on the the plans to roll back the golf ball? Yeah, I think it's completely unnecessary. Um, do you think there's anything else that they could do to just make golf courses tougher? I think when you watch, um, I like this man. When you when you watch U.S. Opens, they don't shoot twenty under. When you no. watch even um, what was the event, the Valspar? What was ten under that won the Valspar? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a reasonable score, I would say over yeah. over four. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a massive fan of watching tournaments where. 20 odd under wins I, I don't mind watching maybe two or three of them in the year yeah but when but it's like kind of consistent it, it's that to me it's not a lot of fun for me but I, th I think all they need to do is just if they just make the rough whatever it may be an inch longer an inch and a half longer I don't know I'm not I'm not I'm not an, I'm not a greenkeeper but little things like that will make a huge difference I would certainly uh, say in the states making fairway bunkers actual proper bunkers yep. instead of it having a, only a, a foot face yeah drop it down like we have more in the Europe side of things and actually have a, 
a three foot four foot face you've got to get the ball out of you've got to then start you can't hit hybrid out of there 230 you've got to start thinking yeah. well at best I'm going to have to hit a wedge out here and accept yeah absolutely and I think again if the rough's the same if they can't hit a five or a six iron and you watch sometimes and it, that's the one part of the game that probably amazes me the most when you watch these guys is how much control they have out of what looks like pretty poor lies likes of the rough the semi rough but I think if they made that rough even thicker because let's be honest they're still not going to lose a ball because there's no. enough ball spotters fans out there yeah. they don't need to make it knee height they just need to make it more penal um, I think it's a slippery slope to, uh, to go down the route of changing the changing the game from the pro game to the amateur game I think one of the great things about golf is that amateur golfers can are, are playing with the same tools the same golf ball yes there might be little prototype tweaks here and there yeah. but in yeah. the main we're playing with the same equipment as, as, as the guys you're watching on the TV and that's that's great and then you can play the same golf courses and it, it just for me I think it's a, I think it would be a poor a, a bad route to go down and also I think that they're I think only from going my point of view as well it gives you more of an appreciation of the ability and the talent that these guys actually have absolutely because we've got a direct comparison yeah yeah like, right I've watched them play the old course and yeah okay they might have torn it up and been 20 24 under or whatever I've played the old course I'm sure yourself you have you've played it as well Gareth I've got nowhere near that and I'm not going to get near that because I'm not good enough to do it but yeah. then that gives me I've got every advantage that they have but it's just that it comes down to purely their talent yeah I also think that it's, it's probably only going to make it more of an issue for the shorter hitters I think your long guys are, are, are just they're, they're going to be still 20-30 yards past yeah, the they're still, still going to be coming in with like whereas maybe a wedge they're now coming in with an 8 iron or yeah. a 7 iron yeah. you're still going to have more control over an 8 or 7 iron than those are now back at a 4 iron to a 3 iron Yeah. so yeah that's um, not going to make like you say the, the difference to the your big guys no and I think as well there's like as much as you hear some moans and groans about them hitting it as far as they're hitting it it's hell of an impressive to be able to smash a golf ball Main, mainly yards. from those who no longer play the game <laughs> yeah well yeah but it's hell of an impressive to watch somebody hit a drive 350 360 yards down a fairway yeah like, it's a skill it, it is a skill it's an absolutely skill because if they're if they're if they're only a, 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 a couple of degrees out one way or the other they're going to hit it off the planet left or off the planet right i mean and and you see marco roy and some of the other guys doing that from time to time they do hit it off the planet left and right but a lot of the time they also hit it unbelievably straight yeah so um, for as long as inaccurate they may be like you say there's so much more margin for error oh yeah when you're doing at their numbers their speeds absolutely yeah so yeah I, I, yeah, I'm in 100% agreement with you there yeah, totally. yeah. I, I don't think ultimately they'll end up going that way I think there would be a lot of pushback from the um from the suppliers 2026 well they've already started coming out and making their statements yeah. and obviously the main one is that reference between it being the, the link between pro and amateur yeah. using the same stuff and yeah. the, the history and tradition of it yeah I'd be very surprised if that if that was the route they go down it seems I thought Scotty Scheffler was a, had a, a decent viewpoint on it saying that length isn't really mainly the issue but the ball goes too straight mm -hmm. if they could maybe make the ball more reactive to off hits mm -hmm. and more spin then that would obviously take them further away from the fairway yep yeah, that yeah. was certainly a, I'd say an avenue that would be more easier to to go down mm -hmm. than this rolling back the distance yep oh, fucking nonsense honestly <laughs> <laughs> right so I mean actually looking forward to asking this question mate what is your favourite golf course to play and why um, if you'd asked me before last summer I'd always said Carnoustie the championship with Carnoustie Um go with that then just now then why 
because it's just awesome. Um, <laughs> it's just so good. There's, there's, I just, there's, and there's not a weak hole on it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't like the sixteenth part three. I think it's a, I think it's a poor part three. I don't like part threes that are like a driver or a three wood. But other than that, it's just an awesome golf course. Uh, I've, I've been fortunate enough to play it lots of times over the years. Um, I've played it in events. I'm actually played in the British Boys in about two thousand and one or two thousand and two there. So it was set up. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've played it just in bounce games, and I just I just love it. Um, and then I've played it. I, I played it. I think the last time the Open was there, I played it, but two or three weeks beforehand. So all the stands and stuff were yeah, up, yeah. but it was just phenomenal. Just playing it while well, it was just amazing. Uh, and I just I just think there's so many awesome golf holes on it. Um, but last summer, it's still up there, and it's still kind of it's still <laughs> still fighting still up for the spot as a golf course, but. Last summer, uh, me and a bunch of mates, we've got a group of us, and we're, we said we're going to play an open championship venue every year for the next year. So we did two years ago, we did Troon, and last year we did Turnberry. Now, I appreciate it's not on the open roster, but the history is there. But wow, as a visitor experience, the best experience I've ever had. Just from, from everything, from parking up in the car park and arriving and being met, um, I had in my head that because we were just four guys from sort of Dundee you'd be shunted feet. round to the starter box and here's where you stay pretty much yeah because as soon as you go out of the car you're hearing all sorts of accents particularly American etc so yeah. I'm thinking oh, when we turn up here they're just going to say right any sort of side door lads <laughs> but it couldn't have been further from the truth from the minute we were met by the first member of staff till the moment we left it was absolutely phenomenal and the front nine at Turnberry is just out of this world did just, you ever look at the ninth of the championship team yes yeah it's just insane. terrifying yeah just incredible absolutely <laughs> incredible uh, and then the sort of the, the holes around the lighthouse and stuff and then stopping in at the lighthouse that just, is some halfway house yeah isn't it? it's phenomenal yeah it's just I, I, it was it was without doubt the best visitor experience I've ever had it was to be honest just, I was blown away with the shop that's on the ground floor yeah the yeah, shop's incredible is. I've never seen so many logoed head covers or logo putter head covers in my life there's so many <laughs> options um, and, I, and I work in a golf shop and I was still <laughs> blown away with it um, It was. It was. I was just impressed by the whole lot and then also like I think so I played the front nine and I'm like wow that was just wow I'm thinking the back nine's probably going to be a let down now but it wasn't and, no. and as much as the back nine it wasn't as good as the front nine. It's still fantastic and a great finish as well. Um, so yeah, so that's now my kind of that's my 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 favourite course, but favourite all round experience I've had. But if you really compare it golf course for golf course, Carnoustie's still kind of there or thereabouts. It requires a little bit more technically from you, maybe. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and yeah, there's more. There's probably there's probably more. Yeah, a bit more attention. Bit more difference in some of the holes, but yeah, just a little bit more. It's that tagline of Carnasty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I know it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, well, we played it what two years ago? Yeah. Maybe three now. Nah, two. Two years ago, we the mate of mine. remember ago, them yeah. there. So, you want to play Carnasty? I was like, I burden sounds great. He said, No, no. <laughs> Championship. I'm like, I've got somebody to bring with me. So gave Tom a shout. Jumped at your chair. <laughs> no, the rest of it. So went down. <laughs> Was I was really looking women's to Open was getting set up at that point uh, it was the ladies open ladies open the IG sides yeah. not were up I thought it's not a problem for me again <laughs> what do you play off of 13 it's alright you, know I mean? <laughs> you had a very good day yeah and I still couldn't break 80 no but I did play well mate honestly <laughs> I mean my head the best things I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed 18 <laughs> holes how many did you play I enjoyed 16 <laughs> I walked off did you <laughs> 
Honestly, oh I was I was so annoyed. I was so the annoyed last with him. famous two holes. I walked off and I oh could fucking cream hot. I was, I was How trying could you not play the last hole. I tried every he? tactic in my bag, having played with Gareth, to keep him on the golf course, but he was gone. I thought he was well and truly lost me. Yeah, oh, honestly, Jesus. the last yeah. hole is phenomenal. Yeah, it's just I would know. <laughs> we'll take our words for it. The last hole is phenomenal. Show me a photograph. Just, just everything about it. Just kind of yeah. the, the tough tee shot, and then normally. Not the, 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 the you get a good tee shot away, and you think yeah, that's me all right now. Yeah, <laughs> the second one can just do yeah, you absolutely. in as much. I mean, the la- it was strange the last time they played the open there. Was mean like they were they were guys driving the first green and stuff. Now yeah. I played the championship a lot, and it's never even been on my radar that that is remotely possible. Now it was a, it was a really fiery summer and dry, but like I couldn't believe it when I was seeing guys driving the green. And the one that even more so was the tenth hole where there's the burn going across the front of the green. Mm-hmm. They were having to hit. Oh, because some of the guys were hitting like two iron off that hole. Because if they hit the driver, they were going to run into the burn. I'm sure Garcia actually hit it in the yeah. burn there. It was just and some of the other. So like even the last, they were they were they were almost getting all the way down to the burn. It was like a flick. It was bizarre. I mean, obviously wind directions and stuff, but but yeah, it's just it's just a phenomenal golf course. It really is. Yeah, and I think like you say, <laughs> even didn't play the last hole. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think like you say, with the wind, the wind is obviously the most prominent aspect of Carnoustie. But because you play. It can be a solid just one direction wind, but because of the course design, you play every wind direction possible, mm-hmm. so you can't get used to it. Yeah, that's the tough aspect. Yeah, it's so quite an unusual links from the kind. Of, it's not a it's kind usually of usually front out, out from back. Yeah, yeah, you've got a lot of, a lot of variation there, which is I think probably again just why it's it lends itself to its, its yeah. reputation definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's a bit of a, it's not a loaded question, but it's a worded question. So we're all agreed that coaching and club fitting is important in golf. I think we could all admit to that. Yeah. What other areas for amateurs specifically do you think that they should be looking at to seek improvement in their game? Um, I think, um, I mean, I, I'm like an agony aunt in the pro shop a lot of the time because like, you get people coming out before the rounds after the rounds more on agony and after the rounds generally what you mean is your uh, shoulders wet from tears <laughs> <laughs> just just moans and groans i think what, i think what a lot of club golfers forget is it's a hobby or it's meant to be a hobby like that is how what well, that is why the, the vast majority of club golfers go out and play golf is, is it's a hobby it's, it's something that they take part in that is ultimately meant to be fun i don't know of too many other hobbies that human beings take part in where they just moan and groan and hate life so much other than golf yep. I mean there probably is things but I am not aware of them I uh, think that's more because you've only yourself to blame like you yeah. say so yeah you need to obviously take it on the chin you've got no one else you can hide behind like you said obviously previously if you're playing football and you're in a crap team you can point the finger elsewhere maybe Yeah. so I think that's got an aspect to it and for some of us I would be looking in the mirror right now and say we just take things too personally or want it to do well too much that yep. it gets the better of you. I think um, so. I, I think go out there and try and enjoy it. Like my when I when I was a junior, I, I, I was um, like I said, I was, I was really competitive. Like even if it was just meant to be a bounce game, I'd want to play. It wasn't play for a pound or just play for the pride. And I would get quite particularly as a young junior, I would get quite grumpy. And if I was playing with my dad and things weren't going well I'd be kind of throwing the toys at the pram and he wasn't like that at all he wasn't that competitive way never has been never will be he's just quite content to go out and he just loves it he just loves golf yeah. just like everything about golf whether it's watching playing 
just anything. He just he just golf mad. Absolutely loves it, and still still is, and has been for just forever. Um, and he would always say to me like, "Can you come off him for a bad round?" And I'm moaning and groaning or sitting there grumpy. He'd be like, "What are we to do now?" And I'd be like, oh, "We're going home." He's like, "What are we going to do?" I was like, "We're going to have something to eat." He's like, "If you'd have shot sixty five, what were you going home? What were you going to do and do?" So like, you're going to get home. Going so like things yeah. don't change. It's like. It doesn't He's, pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. So, like, it, just just go out there and enjoy it and, and accept that sometimes it would be good. To, so just basically temper your expectations. Yeah. But I would say is, like, I know with the, start, the question was asking about the importance or we agree the importance of, of lessons and fittings, but ultimately, if you're if you're really not enjoying it, then go and seek advice from a PGA pro or from from somebody. Go and, mm-hmm. go and seek that advice. There are genuinely a lot of good pros out there. And if ultimately as well, if, like, if you're not going to do that, maybe just think about putting the clubs away for a while. Like, it's it's not any fun either for somebody. If you're going out there and kind of you're playing with somebody that's chucking their clubs and having an absolute rage, it's not <laughs> fun for the rest of the guys. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I've done I've done both of those things, and uh, coincidentally put the clubs away for a fair few months on the back of it. Yeah. It was nowhere here. Was it? Nah, not? it was about. It was a fair amount of time for you not playing it was about golf. About six mate, or seven months. Yeah. Like that's almost about the same amount of time I've not played golf since now, but that's due to injury. Injury, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I went through like five, six, seven years of just absolute torture in terms of how bad my golf game was. Like it really was chronically bad. It was it was really horrendous. But I kept trying, kept trying, kept trying. I was like putting so much effort and it just didn't get any better. I, eventually I went for a lesson actually. I went to see a guy, Sandy Smith from Ladybank, and the penny just dropped and I was like he he gave me one thing to work on and the penny dropped. And ever since then I've kind of I can keep the ball on the golf course, which is quite helpful. <laughs> but now I play so little golf now, and I haven't really I haven't played any competitive golf in the last five, six, seven years, just because of my environment. Just I just don't have the time. I don't see the point in pitching up to play tournaments when I haven't had enough time to practice, yeah. and I yeah. don't play enough regular golf. But I still I still love going out and playing golf. But when I go out there, I've got virtually zero expectations. So like I just go out, and it's just like whack it, find it, whack it again, get it in the hole as quick as possible, and, and see what happens. And generally, my golf is now as good as it's ever been yeah. like I, I, if not better because I, I don't put that pressure on myself I'm not thinking about X, Y and Z I'm just standing up and just giving it a whack um, it's not easy to do though it's not because obviously you want to go out and you're trying to have your best score possible and it does get frustrating but I think if the more you can kind of just just keep those expectations to a reasonable level yeah. um, the better chance you've got and the only advice I would give someone is take more club I say that a lot. I do a weekly newsletter, and forever I put, I'm always I've putting. Yeah, I've noticed that. Like week, <laughs> pros tip. Like if you think it's a six, hit your four iron. Or if you think it's a nine iron, hit your seven iron. Because yeah. the, the likelihood is that you're probably not going to hit it very good. So at least if you take more club, you're more likely to be up there. That's my. That's my, that's my, that's Just don't tip. do that on the back of Carnoustie on the 18th because you'll hit the, the hotel if you do airmail it. There's a, there's, there's a few holes in golf that you could you wouldn't necessarily want to do that, but yeah. the vast majority of golf holes. Nine times out of the, ten. The, yeah. pr- the trouble is front right, front left, front short. That's where the trouble is. That there's very not very often there's trouble kind of long of a green. Um, but when you, if the safest place to stand yeah. when you're watching some club golfers at the back, unless they've got a wedge in their hand, they're going to knife it through the. The back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, no. Right, Tom, you've been dying to ask that question. No, 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 no. There's one more before that. You were wanting to ask this gentleman what's in the bag. Oh, I skipped it to be after the Did question. You? Yes. You didn't send me that memo. Regarding the Stealth 2 driver. Right, so we'll go with my <laughs> one first then. So we've got a, a mutual 
well, I'll, I class him as a friend. Don't know how you I, class yeah, him. Yeah, no, no, I'd go with friend. I was, I was interested to see what words you were going to use there. But yeah, no, I'd go friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he, is my, he is technically my boss as well. But yeah, no, definitely friend. Uh, I so, find it hard to believe he could be anybody's boss, but never mind. <laughs> Our good old swagger. So yeah, so we're talking about a guy called Stephen Devine. Tell me the story about his stealth two drive ahead. Um, yeah, so it's actually a stealth. It's actually a stealth. It's a stealth. Yeah, it's a stealth. Yeah, so he got I thought it. he got the upgrade. Ah well, it's so now it a stealth. Start, yeah, so it started off as a stealth. It started right, off yeah. life as a stealth, uh, <laughs> which, I, which, which I fed him for last year, and always going rosy. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, maybe four or five weeks ago, he comes into the shop and he, I think his exact words are, "What kind of shite are you selling in here?" <laughs> uh, <laughs> to which I uh, was. <laughs> So say, I, I, that's kind of how Stephen talks to me fairly oh, regular, yeah. so it wasn't it wasn't out of the norm for him to be fair. So it was all right. I took it all right. Um, but he pulls the head cover off his stealth driver, and the crown is no longer attached. <laughs> uh, the carbon <laughs> crown. So my first question to him was, well, which part of the club are you hitting this with? Like, because you oh, do what realize tree that, did you hit this you do, off? You do realize that this smooth bit on the this flat bit on the front is the club face, and that's actually where he hit the shots from, <laughs> not the top. And he was uh, he took that he took that well to be fair. So anyway, we, there was a bit of a kind of, I had to speak to Taylor made and initially um, they weren't going to, they weren't going to honour the, the sort of warranty, it, it was because he'd sent me some photos and I'd sent them a photo and it actually looked like the bottom of his driver, kind of where the, um, where the key goes in to, to, to take out the shaft, etc. Mm. The, the way he'd taken a photo, it looked like, a, it looked like he'd smashed it off a rock or something and it, and it imploded. <laughs> So there was a bit of to and fro from Taylor made, but eventually once I explained to them um what had happened and that it was the crown that had come off, it was all sorted. So so he got he got in they actually sent him uh, the stealth two head. Um but Stephen's been struggling a little bit with his game recently. Um So from from my point of view here, <laughs> I was told that you were refusing to give him that head <laughs> until he could learn to hit a golf club again. That's pretty much right, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so I said to him, because they sent a brand new Stealth 2 head, and I said to him, right, well, you're, basically, yeah, you're not getting that. Uh, I'm going to I'm gonna let you, I'm basically, I chopped and changed between the, the, the head that they'd sent from my fitting stuff and a different head, because he's been hitting it, like, off the planet left, like, out of bounds at the, the first and last at the old course left. Yeah. Like, um, like so far left, like almost backwards it's going that far left he's been hit so far left and he, he's been for a lesson with my assistant Nathan he'd been for a lesson with me and he was just really struggling to get to grips with what we were trying to get him to do but uh, he was out in the course I think last week and the penny finally dropped he's hit some good shots and he now has his brand new stealth two back in the bag so he's quite content I think and I think probably more than anybody is his missus is probably extremely happy that he's not going home in tears uh, so yeah and actually I wouldn't like to be his employee because if you turn up on a Monday after he's had a horrible weekend I can't imagine he'd be all that easy to work for either so. well I'm going to now be hiding all the next probably three or four weeks from him because this was a requested question not from me but from someone else that's in his office so that it can be clipped and played on repeat so uh, oh, yeah that's going to go down well, so I'll now be hiding. <laughs> I'm sure he'll take it well. <laughs> Maybe. So yeah, like Tom alluded to there, mate, um, obviously need to know what's in the bag. Okay, um, so I have a bag full of Callaway toys for this year. Uh, I was actually made a Callaway ambassador for 2023. Um, it's 
it came about I was at a, what's called a pre-book so basically when you, you go to uh, do all your buy-in for the future for the following year um, I'd seen some pictures and stuff on social media and I, I was winding my rep up saying oh, what, what do you need to do to become one of these ambassadors sort of thing and he never really took me on um, however a couple of days later he phoned me and he said oh are you interested in becoming an ambassador and I said well unless I have to spend another, if I have to spend another 10 grand or something I was like no not no. really <laughs> he's like no no you're all good he was like you meet all the criteria really and he says and a space opened up so I was like ah okay that sounds good I says well what, what actually comes with it um, he says well you've, you've got 14 clubs uh, you get a bag cap balls gloves I was like yeah sign me up <laughs> so um, yeah I've got a bag a, a brand new bag full of toys uh, so Paradigm Triple Diamond dive, Driver uh, Triple Diamond yeah nice. Paradigm Triple Diamond 3 wood Paradigm Hybrid um, Irons wise I've got a set of Apex Pros uh, Forta Wedge and then I've got a couple of uh, Jaws Raw um Wedges fifty two, fifty eight, and then I got part of the deal. So it's fourteen clubs. So actually, I actually only have thirteen, but I think I only need thirteen. That's enough uh, <laughs> as a putter. So I got the it's a, the, the new Odyssey twelve, and it's centre shafted. Um, kind of the, my, my original sort of the putter I've had the longest in the bag is an Odyssey two ball that's centre shafted. Right. Uh, so I've went to uh, I've got one of those. So I played with them first time yesterday, and they worked pretty decent. So nice, yeah, all good. Like some mind the videos you're putting up. Well, the lungs of Cardiff at St Andrews. Mm-hmm. You and Nathan smashing the balls. Yeah, mostly Nathan because I didn't, I didn't, I don't think people were all that interested to see somebody just whack a three wood two hundred and twenty yards. Whereas <laughs> I got Nathan to stand up and hit it, and I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. He was, uh, it was freezing cold that day. He had on, he must have had on four or five layers. We'd just come out of um, a sort of seminar type training session for an hour and a half, and. Um, went along to the range and I said to him right grab a there wasn't any drivers sitting I think the drivers were all new so I said right grab a three wood we'll hit, swipe a few shots and we'll get uh, get some get a wee video for the for social media and uh, he stands up and he's and they've got the they've got the pro tracer in it yeah. um, is it pro tracer they've got a track man top tracer yeah. Yeah, yeah. they've just changed um, from track right, man they've to actually tracer. got a tie in with Callaway because yes. the bag that I got the, the, I got a paradigm bag as well and that's got the top tracer on the on the uh, side yeah um, so yeah, so he's, he's 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 whacked a couple of three woods, and I'm looking at the numbers, and I'm like, oh my god, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I just, this is why I'm not doing the video. Um, so right, so I was like, right, that's fine. He's hit like four or five warm ups, so he he swipes away this three woods, and it's 167 mile an hour ball speed with a three wood with like four layers on in the middle of winter with a range ball. I'm like, that's just ridiculous. It, it, it f- I can't even remember what it flew. It flew something like 264 or something. Yeah, something like that. Ran out to 280. And I'm like, that's better than my driver. Um, <laughs> awesome. And he, yeah, he's, he, he, he can really, he can he's really young, swipe a thin, ball. supple. It's well, you know what? He's one of those guys. You look up at me and think, don't fucking stand next to me. <laughs> that boy does nothing for my ego. I'm telling you, I go in that shot. Right, I hope Craig's there. I walk in. All right, mate, how you doing, mate? That fucking Irish accent as well. You've got no hope being next to that guy. You know what I mean? So uh, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean by that. That video you put up, the guy is I mean he's got quite a bit of Yeah, he's he's, him, yeah. he's a very good player. He was he was out in um he's out in the States, uh, Colorado State he was at um for three or four years. He had a couple of individual wins. I'm quite excited to see how he gets on this year. I think he's gonna have a good year, sort of assistance tour, tartan tour wise. Um he can play it's not it's not a case he can just hit it long. 
he um, got all he, the finesse shots. Yeah, he pitched up in the what's called the, the Winter Midlands Alliance. He actually only played a couple because he didn't realise that they played off mats and stuff. And he said that wasn't for him. <laughs> but <he> first event, <laughs> first event, he pitched up at Edsall and he shot sixty five and he won the he won the alliance by five shots. Um, so he's he's got some game. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm excited to see. Uh, well, if one six seven is his ball speed with a three win, if it doesn't work out in tours, yeah. you can go the long distance. Absolutely. I mean that that really is like you you watch the golf tonight on TV or next time it's on, and like these a lot of these guys driver wise they're up at high one seventies and like so Rory and that up at one eighty or one sixty seven with a three wood yes. ball speed is, is impressive. seriously impressive. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? Like how how guys how how kids juniors learn to play golf now it's totally different yeah. to how I learned when I was a kid nobody ever said to me hit it hard when I was learning yeah. people said nice and easy just kind of find the centre of the club face let's yeah. get it down yeah. the fairway nobody has ever in my life said to me and I tell you what see in the last probably year or so I've said to more customers than ever when I'm giving them a lesson or a fitting hit it give it a hit hit yeah. it hard because yeah. you've got you've got to hit it hard and the equipment's there the technology's within the equipment to allow and the ball all these things allow you to do that uh, and if I'm teaching kids now, I've completely flipped around how I would teach children, like include my own little boy who's four years old. All I say to him is like, just uh, I say over the shoulder, up on your toe, because I want to like try and get him to make a full swing. And I just say, hit it as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what he does, as, as long as they're not falling over. But that's how I would teach all kids now. Encourage them to hit it hard, and then you can straighten it up. Because if you go the other way, and you get them to poke it down there and swing it smooth and swing it slow and they're hitting it really you straight change two things and so then if you tell them right now I want you to hit it really hard and they start hitting it left and yeah, right they're not yeah. going to want to do that so you get them to just smash it as hard as they can to start off with then we'll straighten it out well they've and got, got to unlearn everything they've learned to then relearn how yeah. to be accurate with speed yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah that's why the likes of everyone coming on the tour now has got <laughs> an almost 120 mile an hour average golf swing yeah yeah it's absolutely crazy frighten them frighten them Right, so we're going to round this episode off with a quick quiz the guest. A quick fire. Oh. Yeah, normally it's quiz the host, but... Um, we're taking a break this week. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Right, Tom, starts off, mate. So, question one. Links or Parkland? Links. Nine holes or driving range? Nine holes. Fair weather or all weather? All weather. Stroke <laughs> play or match play? Come on, bro. Stroke play. So, building your perfect golfer. So, from the world of golf, a driver, irons, wedges, and a putter. Ooh. Uh, driver, I would go uh, Rory McIlroy. Irons? Are you allowed to have more than one person? Like yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they don't have to be currently playing, they can be okay. fast. Any era. Yeah. Um Tiger Woods for Irons. Wedges? DJ. Oh, like that. Yeah, good shout. Well, probably not like there was a point where he wasn't all that great, but then there was a point where yeah, he just got so yeah. dialed. When he got to world number one and was <coughs> yeah. 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 Um so a putter of round it off. Yeah, that's that's an absolute no brainer for me. Tiger Woods all day long. The greatest clutch putter you could nice. ever see in your life. Yeah. <laughs> I particularly enjoyed the episodes on Woods. Did you? Good. Yeah, oh, well, it was really good. Yeah, yeah, um, swing coaching or driver fitting? Or club fitting? Club fitting, I suppose, yeah. Uh, swing coaching, because yeah. if you do well in that, that'll lead to a fitting. <laughs> <laughs> Professional. <laughs> that's, that's, the biz that's the business mindset <laughs> right there. <laughs> so, the Masters or the Open? The Open. Yes. Golfing Idol? Tiger Woods. 
I think so. I I was well, I was born nineteen eighty six. So my, my earliest golfing memory is actually the ninety five Open at St Andrews when Costantina Rocca hold from the Valley of Sin and then Daly beat him in a playoff. Yep. I can remember the I can remember I can vividly remember Costantino Rocca holding from the the Valley of Sin. I don't really remember the playoff, but my dad was like a John Daly fan, still is. Yeah, yeah. So, so I don't really remember the playoff, but obviously I remember he won. Um, my next golfing memory after that would be the '96 Masters when uh, Faldo or Norman kind of collapsed in the in the, in the final round, and uh, Faldo took over. I remember that. But my kind, and then my my next memory is '97 Masters of Woods winning. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't. I, I know obviously that he shot forty on the front nine in the first round, and then uh, thirty on the back nine, shot seventy, and he went on to win by a, a dozen or whatever it was. I, I I can't. I couldn't sort of specifically remember sitting watching each evening, but that would be like when he burst on the scene. Then yeah, yeah. that was. I was at an age where golf was kind of on my radar, and then kind of through the two thousands when I was really into golf. But I think like um, all of us sitting here, all close in age, his impact for being so young as well, because obviously all the other golfers that you'd watch on the tour were looking towards the late 30s mm-hmm. age range so he was the next young thing so obviously we were always going to gravitate to him but he came in with such dominance and prowess yeah. it was just it was just a no brainer it was yeah. easy I think only now you probably start to appreciate him more as he's as you're not seeing him obviously as much I mean like as much as there are a lot of really awesome golfers out on the tour currently your Marco Roy's and uh, Scotty Scheffler they, they don't have the sustainability like that, that he had he was relentless for like a decade or yeah. more than a decade like yeah. six seven wins a year and like that's that, that goes like that's not easy you know no. I mean and it's not no. like there weren't but really he good made players. it look effortless yeah and it, that was a thing and like we, we spoke about in the episodes that we've done on him there was a couple of years in that time frame when it was between injury that he was not performing at that level and everyone all of a sudden was just jumping down the throat saying mm-hmm. no you've lost it you're done and he was still maybe picking up a win a year which is yeah. still really tough to do on the Absolutely, PGA yeah. Tour yeah I mean some of the records he's got are just out, are just incredible oh, never be broken like no. he's cut records and yeah. he's, he's the amount of wins per per season etc and, and also like start to see every so often it pops up on Facebook or whatever is like the the multiple wins he's got at certain events there's like there's, there's like seven right, eight his events his bay, like, bay hill record yeah, is just, phenomenal just awesome and there's <laughs> when you when you, somebody says tiger woods i think it, there's so many little moments that i think are like bay hill some of the putts he hold to win and stuff yeah and like the, as much as i as much as I, I love the open and i do love the masters for me the greatest greatest sporting event i've ever watched the 2008 us open when he won Beating Rocket Media on he basically didn't. one leg, it yeah. was just an, it was that he didn't win. He demolished. It was just incredible. <laughs> it was it was just that that desire to you will not beat me. Like yeah. if you think back, he hold a putt um, in the final round on the final green to get into a playoff, and then in the playoff because it was an eighteen hole playoff, he had to play in the playoff. He hold another putt very mm-hmm. similar to to then cause it in a sudden death playoff or a three hole playoff. It was just. It was just. It was Rocky Balboa. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like it yeah. was. No. It was yeah. just. It was. If, if you'd written a Hollywood script on it, you'd be like, "This is a wee bit over the top." Yeah. It was just. It was so awesome. Yeah. Um, his, his golfing talent is second to none, and justifiably will probably go down as the greatest golfer to ever play the game. Mm-hmm. But his mental strength and fortitude. Yeah. Alone, he still like he could have had my golf game if, as long as he had his mental attitude. Yeah. He would still win. Yeah. He's just relentless. I thought you made a great point on 
like talking about his son Charlie Woods coming through like mentor wise not even from a from a golfing side of things yeah, but from a, from a mental advantage. strength he, yeah he'll, he'll, he'll he's got so much to, to kind of yeah. he could have into. some he could have f- 10 kids in the same room Charlie part of that and they'll all have the same game yeah but Charlie's got the advantage because of who his dad is and how mm-hmm. strong his mental aspect of it was yeah yep. 100% that's killed the quick fire aspect of this. We got in the Tiger Woods <laughs> we again. Do every time. We do it every time. We do. Ah, it's too easy to do it. I mean, so, best golf ball on the market for you. This is where we find out who is biggest seller in the Who's shop. Who's the is. is he? Callaway Chrome Soft. The LS. Uh, uh, final quick fire question. Uh, dream four ball. I think we touched on it earlier on, but yeah, dream four ball for you. Um, I'll give you two. I'll give you yeah, my professional my, one. Then. Yeah. So yeah. My, my in my and in, in just in, in life, if I could have kind of my dad, and my two little boys, that would be awesome. Yeah. And Lennox, I've kind of had a three ball where we played seven holes, but uh, moving for, Lennox is still a while ago. He's only fourteen months at the moment, so he's not even walking. <laughs> Get yet. a club in his hand. We'll back. give him a couple of years. <laughs> he must uh, have a putter by now. <laughs> he's, had, he's got a couple of little plastic clubs, but uh, no, he's he's a ways off. But um, that would be my kind of my dream kind of that, that is hopefully possible yeah um, if we go uh, past and present professionals okay uh, Tiger Woods um, does it have to be golfers yes yeah okay I asked this question and I got okay. a That's whole load of abuse uh, buggy abuse anyway yeah true yeah. John Daly oh because I just Cause think your he's, he's just yeah he's just awesome isn't he like you're going to have a good time in a car. You're going to have a good time in a golf cart, a cigar, absolutely. and a fair few tinnies. Absolutely, um, and maybe some golf. Fourth one. Um, it's amazing how this one always takes the longest. Hmm. Uh, I'm stuck on. It's uh, a good tiger, John Daly. Mm-hmm. Myself, obviously. You know, I'm going to. This is going to be a bit controversial, probably. He's still playing the game, and he's not everybody's cut with tea. But Jordan Spieth, something I really like about Jordan Spieth. Yeah, it's, uh, no, I can respect oh, that. Okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Or can get away from anywhere, yeah. can he? <laughs> tea shot. Although I don't, know, I don't know how John and Spieth would get on <laughs> together because <laughs> John just likes to play the game easy ozy, and Spieth will talk. His golf ball for eighteen holes solid. See every part of the course as well, won't he? <laughs> I think Spieth's just box office, isn't he? I could oh, just, yeah. I could like have the conversation between him and his caddy, and sometimes I'm just himself. Yeah. You could just watch that. It's, yeah. uh, it is good. To be no, honest, you've seen on full swing, didn't you? With him and no. Justin Thomas, the, the, yeah. the shit talking was amazing. I loved yeah. that part. Eh? Yeah, in their practice round. Yeah, but even then, you probably have banter between Tiger and Spieth, putting themselves into ridiculous places and then still making pars or birdies from yep. there with absolutely outrageous shots. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of the quick fire questions. <laughs> and uh, that's actually the end of the episode. Craig, mate, honestly, I can't thank you enough yep. for letting us come into your performance studio for one and then obviously taking part. And then again, you do a lot to make sure we know you're listening to the podcast and you keep supporting us and that as well. So yeah, I do appreciate it, mate. Thank you very much. No problem. Again, said at the start, all the links to your social media. We'll put that in the podcast description as well. People are local to the area. If you're not a member here, come to check out the pro shop first of all yeah you can't you cannot fault the setup here the course obviously speaks for itself it is great great golf course challenging golf course as well because obviously for a Lynx course it's maybe not the longest but it's certainly what's where we came it's here it's certainly tricky 
mm-hmm. to be fair eh? yeah we couldn't get a booker on the medal anyway <laughs> but we thought next sort of thing for us would be to come here played it yeah. once before actually about four years ago in the fog <laughs> i don't know well <laughs> but we yeah no it. it's it's, nah. it's a really good track it's it's kind of it's been under undervalued is the right word but it's not been it's not been it's maybe slightly unfortunate that you've got like Moni Faith, Montrose, Panmure, all sort of in that area as well. That maybe like obviously we spoke highly of Panmure. They maybe cast a little bit of a shadow over here, but this place certainly lives up to yeah to no, links, it's, links it's, golf in Scotland. So it's, it's getting its name out there as well. I mean, we're on a great coastline with those courses you mentioned and Carnoustie, obviously yeah, as well. I don't miss that, that one. <laughs> <laughs> like Ardrove is definitely doing a good job at starting to promote itself and get its name out there. Um, yeah. we get we get great feedback from our visitors, so yeah, it's definitely worth a it's well worth a visit as a, as a true proper kind of links test yeah. it's, it's well worth it I might have to rely on Gareth a bit more to get out and play here because Stephen may not come, may not <laughs> oh, invite me back hot. after oh, what we've done this I've been fortunate enough to play here a few t- few rounds with Stephen and his dad and his brother and that and so yeah that's that's always been I've always enjoyed playing here absolutely so yep yeah, thank you very much for being the first guest cheers I think it went well Hopefully the last time, like, well, yeah. we'll see if we go on. <laughs> I mean, Craig himself, not as I guess. But we'll get you back on at some point, mate. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, thank you very much again. Um, everybody listening, thank you. Yep, you know where we are on the socials. Do keep in touch. If you've got any questions or things we need to talk about, things we need to improve on, obviously hit us up there. We will take feedback well. You do. I do. I'm the one that gets the feedback. Yeah, but, and as always, we will see you next week. <laughs>